everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, and anxiety spectrum disorders and getting your life back. My name is Kevin Foss. I'm a licensed clinician specializing in OCD and anxiety treatment. And you know what? I'm your host of this podcast. So welcome, everybody, and thank you so much for joining uh, me today, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. If you're on a treadmill somewhere, awesome. If you're driving around in your car, awesome. Uh, If you are uh, wearing headphones while your baby is crying because your ears hurt when your baby cries so much when they're trying to go to sleep, Welcome, and I'm glad you're here. Anyways, that third one was probably a personal example. That's kind of what I do to try to get my baby to sleep sometimes. And you know what? It works. So... I've been consuming a lot of podcasts. Anyways, oh man, I hope everyone's doing well. First off, everybody, this is the first podcast since the IOCDF conference, and thank you all so much. Wait a minute, is it? No, I did one last week. Darn it. Either way, thank you all so much for anybody who joined me or joined uh, myself and Kelly and Lauren uh, for that one. Um, And if you had hung out to watch any of the other ones, I hope you learned a ton. I'm certain that you did, but um, man, those things are fun. Uh, I am trying to get permission right now from the IOCDF to release the audio of the talk that Lauren and Kelly and I gave. And uh, once I get approval, if I get approval for that, um, that will be the content of a future episode. To that point, and you know what? I'm sitting here going, did I even talk about this at the top end of my last podcast? I don't know, but here we go anyways. Um, it bugs me because I released the podcast, or we, we, we pre-recorded the talk, released the talk, the talk went out, and then we sat there to do the talk and realized that my audio, it sounded like this. Everything I said was this loud. And then everybody else, Kelly and Lauren, they sounded like this. It was fine, but I was like this the whole time. It bugs me so much. It bugs me so much. It bugs me. It doesn't bug me that much. It it kind of annoys me because I have a podcast. Shouldn't I be the guy who has good audio, who sounds great on a microphone and the levels are good and the EQ is good? Oh, I don't know. Anyways, this is the stuff that goes through my head. But you know what? Despite the fact that it may sound like I'm obsessing about this, I'm ultimately not. I just think it's a funny thing to share with y'all uh, to who are listening. Well, you're listening right now. So thank you all again. Anyways, but I just think it's funny. Sometimes we do our best to say sound the best, to to, uh, achieve the best, and we think we do it. And you know what? Sometimes, despite our best efforts, it doesn't work. And you know what? That's, it's fine. If we get complaints that the the audio sucked, okay. I'd rather the audio suck than the content, right? And even still, if the content sucked and the audio sucked, but someone still got something out of it, that's what's important. So, we'll have to sit in the uncertainty as to what's going to happen. So, anyways, everybody, I'm going to try to do something, and I'm going to call it out now, and I'm saying it now. I'm going to try to put out one episode a week. We'll see how this goes. We'll see if I get distracted or lazy or something. But I'm going to try to put together shorter episodes and release them on a more regular basis. I think that that will be it's certainly something I've never tried before. Um, I've been encouraged to do this. Um, a every other week frequency has worked out relatively well. But you know what? Gosh darn it! I'm trying new things. So we're going to see what happens. So 
Uh, this is going to be a shorter episode than typical, um, but it's going to be hope. But they're going to be coming out in greater frequency. So uh, hopefully that will work out. And by the way, everybody, um, if you have questions for a future episode, feel free to shoot me uh, shoot me an email. Go over to fearcastpodcast.com. Uh, go over to the submit a question link. I will read it. I will uh, consider it, and I'll put it up. Likely speaking on a future episode, as I have mentioned, if you send it via uh, audio, so you can just send it send your audio audio to questions at fearcastpodcast.com. That will shoot skyrocket up to the top of the list, and I will put that uh, as soon as I can in the next episode, after which I get it and find it relatively reasonable to put up. But as I've also mentioned, if you have a success story, go over to fearcastpodcast.com, and you can go over to, it's going to be the submit a question link, but there'll be a little drop-down menu that says, success story. If you have a success story about an exposure that you did, about something that happened, about treatment that was working, about how you just got on medication and it feels like it's a game changer for you, I want to hear about it. And you know what? Other people want to hear about it too. So if you send those to me, I'm going to try to include those in some of these future episodes because we want to celebrate with you and you overcoming your anxiety and your fear and those obstacles in the way. Um, And it's also it's also evidence that this stuff works, that there are people out there who are who are struggling or were struggling and they did some stuff and they're struggling less and they're able to get back to their life. I want to hear about it. You want to hear about it. And if you have one of those stories, send it in. And again, this can be 100% um, uh, uh, anonymous. Uh, as I've mentioned before, in the questions, when you send it in, I say, what is your what is your real name and real email address? Because for legal purposes, I will need those just in case something crazy happens. I'll need to, uh, and I need to contact you for whatever reason. But that's never happened in the course of this, uh, ep- uh, the course of this podcast. But you can put in your fake name, whatever name you want, and I'll probably read it. As silly as it might sound, I will probably read it. And... Um, Oh, then I'll read your question and no one will ever know it's you. So there is that. Um, I'm, 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 I'm wrestling with, with myself before I even get into this because I desperately want to talk about uh, Squid Game and I want to talk about a show called Midnight Mass. Now, these are two shows that are not meant for the squeamish and these are not things that good people watch. But alas, I watched both and... They're amazing to me. They're fascinating to me. They were, I, I, uh, there's so much I need to unpack, particularly around Midnight Mass. I finished watching this last night. This is not for scrupulous people to watch, really just scrupulous people to watch. But that being said, as an exposure, you should totally watch it. It is also fascinating. Anyways, I'm going to, I'm going to get off of that, but I feel like I'm mentioning these now as something that are really exciting and I, I, I really want to get into, but I'm willing to bet in like six months to a year from now, people will say like, why was he talking about this? No one cares about this. It's kind of like, hey, if I'm going to reference Tiger King, remember Tiger King, the thing that got us through the first bit of the pandemic? No one's talking about Tiger King now. No one cares. This is an outdated reference. This is just as as outdated as maybe talking about, um, I don't know, how obnoxious modems are or remember Furbies? Anyways, none of this matters. Oh, goodness, those shows were fascinating. They're so good. Oh, I need to not watch these shows, but I need more of them. I'm really in conflict here. All right, everybody. I think that's enough of my rambling. So thank you all for joining me again. And we're going to jump into the questions now. So this first question comes from Padma Kumar. 
They say, Dear Kevin, first of all, I'm very grateful for your podcasts and online information. It has allowed me to accept my hyper-awareness about blinking. But I have one question. My fear is whether I will lose my natural ability to blink. I do not challenge the doubt, of course, but I remain myself... I, I, but I remind myself that if my eyes do not blink automatically, the worst that could happen is sore eyes, and I can just close my eyes for a few seconds. However, is there a CBT way of challenging the fear of me losing my automatic ability? I find it tricky because the moment you notice it, the blinking, uh, it, it's no longer automatic, and then they say parenthetically, or at least it's difficult to convince my brain. The instances where I auto, or the instances where I accidentally notice my blinking seems to be the only opportunities to remind myself that not all is lost. I'm thankful for any tips on this. All right. So thank you so much for the question. So if you were here in the office, I would be asking you a ton of follow-up questions, at least to try to kind of narrow in on what it is that you are asking and what's currently going on and what you're hoping to get out of this. So your main question is, uh, or the, the, one of the main things that jumped out to me is is, is the, the question you asked about, is there a CBT way? So by CBT way of challenging your fear, do you actually mean a better way to convince yourself that you won't lose the ability to naturally blink? So that... That, that's that's what I'm worried about. It sounds like you're you're hoping to under the under the 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 guise of CBT, an appropriate treatment, as a way to try to give yourself reassurance that everything's going to be all right. Unfortunately, that is the opposite of what we need to be doing. So. CBT, for anybody who's out there who is unaware, is cognitive behavioral therapy. It is going to be the primary approach that the vast majority of OCD therapists will use in treatment. It essentially looks at your thoughts. It starts to, it questions, what's going on with your thoughts? How are we um, imagining things? Are, are, are you thinking about things in a reasonable and rational way? Or are there some cognitive, what's called cognitive distortions? Think about cognitive distortion as kind of screwed up thinking. Is there some backwards, you know, incorrect thinking that may be at play that may be contributing to a, a false view of oneself or a place in the world or future or world, etc. And those beliefs are going to impact what it is that you do about them. I mean, my simplest example is going to be if you have the thought that, you know, snakes are, or let's say dogs are dangerous, let's mix it up. Let's say you have the thought dogs are dangerous. Well, that that is a that, that's a very black and white thought, right? It places dogs in this category of safe or dangerous. But if you have this idea that dogs are dangerous, then anytime you see a dog, it is perceived or that dog is perceived as dangerous. So therefore, it's going to affect what you do. You and I are reasonably or rationally going to go near something dangerous, right? We're going to try to run from it, avoid it, uh, not interact with it, try to destroy it, right? So the first thing with dogs we want to do is to question whether or not the dog is safe and whether or not there's a safe way to interact with that with dogs or whether or not there is a, uh, you know, how can we identify whether or not a dog is upset or totally calm, etc. You know, trying to think in a, in a broader way about dogs. Because if we can do that, boy, it, it's really going to impact whether or not we're willing to go near a dog, right? If the story is now, you know, some dogs are dangerous, but some dogs are safe. Some dogs just need to be uh, we need to be cautious around them, right? Already, this changes what we do. If some dogs are safe, that means that we don't need to avoid every dog. And maybe we'd be willing to go deer some dogs.
So, but what I hear you saying is, is there a CBT way of challenging your fear about your hyper-awareness of blinking? Well, what I worry about, though, is, again, are, are you trying to give yourself certainty that everything's going to be okay? So, I'm going to ask you this. How is it that you're analyzing the thought about losing your ability to naturally blink, right? It sounds like what's happening is you're living your day and all of a sudden you get this thought, well, what if I lose my naturally natural ability to blink? And then that thought sparks this series of further thoughts and questions and analyses. I mean, notice the comment you said. You, you, you said, or at least it's difficult to convince my brain. Well, I'll ask you, why are you trying to convince your brain of anything? You can tell yourself that you'll that you'll naturally lose the ability all day, or that you won't lose the natural ability all day. And your brain is going to continue to do brain stuff. That's what your brain does. It does brain stuff. Now, I mean, what's 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 interesting about blinking and breathing, for that matter, is that these are these are to a certain degree automatic functions. These are things that just our, our body just does without our thinking about them. But you and I can intentionally change the way we blink or change the pattern of blinking and change the pattern of breathing, right? There are things like our heart rate that are automatic. Now, you will hear stories about people who, are, who can intentionally, without effort or without any action, just simply increase or decrease their heart rate. Now, I've never met anybody who can, who can do this. Um, so I can't really speak to it, but you know, I can change the way I breathe. <laughs> I don't need to breathe like that right now, but it's what I just chose to do for that moment. Same thing with my blinking. Blinking is not going to make a sound. And gosh, wouldn't that be weird if blinking made a sound? Like you could like clap with your eyes. Anyways, God, that'd be weird. All right. So with um, with this though, the, the this is a natural process that can that this is an automatic process that can also be manual but back to back to that that analysis part about whether or not you're going to lose your ability to naturally blink now we we can't really convince ourselves of one way or the other our brain is going to continue to do brain stuff i mean you can't convince your brain that it can fly i mean you can maybe have the delusion that you can fly but I'm telling you now, you can't fly. I can't convince myself that my body's cilia works. It just doesn't, or it doesn't work right, right? It's like all, 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 all well, it, it does whatever it wants, I suppose, but it doesn't do what it should or what I would like it to do. And I can try to convince my brain all day, even if I have these moments where, you know, I, I, I'm really tapping into my cilia. I'm not going to convince myself. For you, you said it's it's difficult to convince your brain that, that you're no longer going to convince it or you're no longer going to lose the automatic ability when you're kind of attending to it. What I would encourage you to do is to resist that action as much as you possibly can. Because I'll ask you this then. What are you afraid of happening if you lose the natural or automatic ability to blink? Or the way that you, you, you are saying is the natural way that you, quote, ought to, which is a whole separate conversation. But what will you lose? What will it cost you? What are you no longer going to be able to do? And what is your life going to look like? What's so bad about it? And by the way, that right there is a great basis for a script. A script meaning a story, an exposure story that you could write that you'll have to sit with and process, and not process, just tolerate. 
It's going to play out that feared story, the thing that you're most worried about, which is the reason why you're trying to convince yourself that everything's going to be all right. Instead, your job is to accept the uncertainty about the future of your blinking. And so when, you, that, when it just kind of like pops into your attention, that thought ought to be, or could be, or, or might be, well, there it is again. And, oof, I might lose my ability to naturally blink. Because as you're living your day, your attention goes on to your blinking, it goes off your blinking, and you can intentionally blink, and you might check your ability to naturally, or your, your, your ability to blink, and are you doing it, and then you're thinking about it, and, and it sounds like that's the, that is the entrance into that, that routine that you're getting into. Instead, acknowledge, instead, use that as an exposure. I might lose my ability. Yep, I might. Now, you could go even one step further if, you, if you're wanting to feel brave about it and just go, you know what? I'm going to lose it. All right. And, and then let it go. And then no need to intentionally focus on it or spend any more amount of time thinking about it. And by the way, to the point about exposures, with this, I don't see this necessary need for you to then sit there and focus on your blinking. Focus on whether or not you are or are not blinking. Sometimes with uh, sensory motor, some people will advise that uh, that you just you focus on the sensation and you try to tolerate the sensation. That's not the case here. We we don't need to do this. And in fact, that's part of the problem: is the amount of time you're thinking about your blinking. Our job here is to do less. Is to think about your blinking less. So that's part of the fear, though, right? That you might lose the natural ability to do that in one way or another, some mystical, magical sort of way. You might. I might. Someone else out there might. But we don't know. And that might be scary. But that's the future. That's future use problem, right? But instead, our job is to accept that uncertainty, that feeling of the uncertainty. So once that thought comes in, well, I might lose my ability. Yep. And then try to redirect your attention back to whatever it is that you were doing Right before you got distracted, you might be in a meeting, you might be driving your car, you might be on a hike, and all of a sudden you're thinking about your blinking. Okay, yep, there it is. And there might be that urge to tell yourself that everything's going to be all right, I'm going to lose my, I, I'm, I, can, I can hold my blinking, it's going to be all right. My natural ability will, will remain. We don't know, you don't know. So why spend any amount of time doing this? You can naturally blink, and then you can automatically blink, and then you, excuse me, you can automatically blink, and then you can manually blink, but we're spending way too much time thinking about blinking here. So, we're going we're gonna to take this risk to not convince yourself that it's all right. Not convince yourself that you're not going to lose your automatic ability. Instead, we're going to accept that uncertainty, and we're going to tolerate that feeling of the uncertainty. What are the feelings that you're going to have to accept? What is that moment? And what is the risk that you're putting yourself in? What is the, and that's the, that's the feeling, right? If I don't convince myself, if I don't tell myself that it's all right, if I don't use a CBT way of challenging the fear, then it's all going to be lost. Maybe. Maybe. And then get back to your day. Get back to the hike. Get back to the walk. Get back to whatever it is that you're doing. And we'll see. And your attention's going to fluctuate and float. It's going to be on your blinking and then off. And then it's going to be under your foot and your ankle and your shoulders and your scalp. And then what's that sound over there? Why is that person wearing this thing? Oh my gosh, my blinking again. That's fine. That's brain stuff. That's wonderful. 
So let your brain do brain stuff and fluctuate and float in its attention. Let your brain wander. That's great. And sometimes it'll wander on your blinking, and sometimes you'll blink intentionally, and sometimes you'll blink too much, and sometimes you won't blink, quote, enough, whatever that means. And then you'll get on to your day. So your job here is to do less. So I hope any of this was helpful. I hope this kind of gave you a different way to think about this. But again, thank you so much for that question. So this next question comes from Cassandra. Cassandra says, hello. First, thank you so much for creating this podcast. It has helped me to feel less alone and has given me some helpful insight into what I'm struggling with and some steps I can take to work on it while I'm looking for a therapist. I actually have two questions, if that's okay. My first question is about acceptance and forgiveness of yourself. I've been struggling with real event OCD, and I am, of course, having a hard time forgiving myself for some things I did a couple years ago. A common thing I've heard when uh, a common things uh, a common thing I've heard when you're judging yourself harshly is to ask yourself how you would feel or react if a close friend did the same thing or something similar. However, honestly, I would probably judge my friend and question their ability or their sense of morality too. The general consensus I've gotten from people I've disclosed my actions to have been, yeah, that was kind of effed up. You probably shouldn't have done that. But it's not the end of the world. However, I find myself questioning them anyways for having such a mild response. So my question is, what are some other ways to reframe uh, or to reframe uh, for self-compassion and for self-forgiveness? My second question is, do OCD obsessions generally contain a kernel of truth within them? To elaborate, I remember being worried that I might be attracted to women when I was a teenager, and I was a bit obsessive about it. Now, several years have gone by, and I realize that I, I, th- I think I actually am on the bisexual spectrum. Sexual or romantic thoughts of women do not give me anxiety and aren't intrusive. Uh, it, it is part of myself that I've been trying to explore in the past few years, and I've been fairly open to friends or family with this. Now, of course, my anxiety has shifted quite intensely into worrying that I'm actually straight and have been appropriating a label and community that I'm not actually a part of. And so, this has made me wonder if obsessions uh, have a bit of truth in them, uh, which, which is also pretty scary, which is what makes them so scary. My fear several years ago when I was attracted to, the same, to some women, which has ended up being true to a certain degree. I'm curious to hear your insight on this. Apologies for the long email. Thanks again for what you do, Cassandra. Okay, Cassandra. Um, yes, a bit of a long email, but no problem. Two questions. We'll, we'll, we'll make it happen. So to your first question, I'm going to kind of take this in order. So this first question is essentially, what are some other ways to reframe for self-compassion and self-forgiveness? So perhaps one of the best things you can do at this time, uh, so I, I just got this book. Um, I have not read it, but I know the author. And um, I, I, though I have, again, I have not delved into this. It literally came in the mail two days ago. So, but but again, I'm, I'm very hopeful for this book and it may be up your alley about something that may be helpful. It is the Self-Compassion Workbook for OCD and is by Kimberly Quinlan. So, uh, last name spelled Q-U-I-N-L-A-N. I'll put a link to it um, on the show page for this, but this, the Self-Compassion Workbook for OCD, the subtitle is Lean Into Your Fear, Manage Difficult Emotions, and Focus on Recovery. 
So what, what I'd recommend to you, so f- first off, for, for those of you who are new to this real event OCD, is, is the OCD cycle about something that actually happened. It, it, it really just looks like this, this excessive rumination about what happened. Thoughts about, well, what would it be different if I did this thing different? Or did they, did, was I offensive? Will this thing happen in the future because of, of the thing that I did? So a lot of times with OCD, it can be it's 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 obsession and rumination about something that hasn't happened yet or something that may or may not be true but with real event it's that something actually did happen we did say something we did act in a certain way and then there's rumination about what are the implications of that so cassandra you're asking well what what are some ways that i can reframe this and have some self-compassion and self-forgiveness so one of the things that i've recommended in the past episodes for anybody who's new to real event and you can go back and listen to the past episode on this is that we we do need to have this ele- this this stance of acceptance and this self-compassion and self-forgiveness. This is the idea of taking ourselves off the hook for the thing that we've done. This doesn't mean that we don't take responsibility. We are, it doesn't mean that we are then um, uh, ineligible in, in to, to receive a, a punishment for it. And it doesn't mean that we are not accountable to our actions. What it means is we then don't spend excessive amounts of time beating ourselves up for the things that we did. And instead, as best we possibly can, we'll use this as a learning experience, excuse me, learning experience for moving on and saying, you know what, gosh, I, I messed up here. I did something that's not in, in line with who I am, what I want to be, what I want to be about. And, and I, again, I'm going to take ownership of this. I'm going to take responsibility for it. I'm going to take punishment if I need to, or, or um, may, maybe not, maybe punishment is, is the wrong word, but um, perhaps I'm, I'm going to accept the consequences for my actions as, as reasonable as I can. But beating myself up ain't going to help. It doesn't make me feel any better. It doesn't bring justice to the other person or to the, the, the broader situation. It it just makes me feel awful. And it keeps me stuck in this place. That's not justice. That's not justice for the other person or anything else. So we need to find a way to move on to whatever the next thing is. So, Cassandra, for you, one thing, you can certainly go through that book, and I bet there's going to be a ton of examples of things that you can do in that. But uh, one thing that I'd recommend for you is to script out the event and the feared story. And I, I, I encourage you to think about what are you afraid of being true, or what are you afraid of happening, or what are you afraid of finding out because of that thing that you did? So, which elements will you have to practice being uncertain about? Because remember, all of this is about how do you accept the uncertainty about the future? It is expressing or it is extending the self-compassion to, to you and letting yourself tolerate the uncertainty. It is a hard line except the feeling of uncertainty about the future. To that point is what thoughts and feelings and sensations, etc. do you fight the most and what pulls you into that compulsion the easiest? And then how can you practice accepting the presence of those things without judgment, without argument, without conflict while they're in your mind, in that present moment? This is not a future-based thing. How do I stop the bad thing from happening? How do I rectify that thing that I did? How do I, man, if I did this thing differently, what would I do differently? Or if, if I did this thing differently, what would be different, right? It's none of that. 
It's to say, gosh, because of that thing, I'm so nervous and anxious about blank. I'm worried that this is true about me. I'm worried that this thing might happen. I don't like that. And that pulls you into that process. So that's part of that story is that you're going to have to extend compassion to yourself to not beat yourself up, but to make space for all of, all of that emotion, all of that intense feeling. And that feeling is good. I know that sounds crazy. It doesn't feel good. It feels like garbage. And it's supposed to. That feeling is there that tells us, man, we might have messed up. So I'm going to try to not do that again in the future. But I'm not going to dwell in it, meaning I'm not going to marinate in it and make myself feel more awful. Instead, I'm going to go, yeah, all that feeling is there. It doesn't feel good. And that thought doesn't feel good. And the memory of that doesn't feel good. And that's what that feels like. And that's what this moment feels like. And then we practice pulling away, pulling away, pulling away from that urge to fight against it, to tell ourselves it's not, it's not as bad as we thought it was. We also don't need to lean into it and say it's worse than we think it is, and it's garbage, and everyone thinks I'm terrible. That's not helpful either. We can accept, part, part of, part of um, self-compassion, though, is, is tolerating the feeling for what it is, not for what it isn't. We don't need to lean into it harder than it needs to be. We don't need to minimize it. It just, it is what it is. We take that feeling as it is. It's kind of like, again, like my point about the weather. If it's hot outside, I don't like the heat. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not doing myself or anybody else any favors by saying, you know what? I got to get used to this heat. I'm going to go outside when it's 100 degrees and I'm going to wear a sweater and a, and a, and a beanie and I'm going to wear my, my snow pants. That, I'm going to make it hotter. I'm going to sweat my face off. And that's going to help me get used to the heat. No. That just makes me look ridiculous. So, what do I do? I wear normal clothes, and I go outside, and I live my life. And I go, gosh, it's hot. Oh, my gosh, I'm so sweaty. Oh, my gosh. They, I got sweat in all sorts of places. It is uncomfortable, and I'm just sticky. I'm sticking to things. It's gross. And we just acknowledge that it, it, it just feels bad. Hot weather sucks. I say this when we're going into winter, which is delightful, by the way. Oh, it's wonderful, this winter thing. Anyways, um, sorry, Southern Hemisphere. You're going into summer, so you will soon be what I'm talking. know what I'm talking about. Anyhow, we don't, need to ex- we don't need to work on being in a more uncomfortable place for this. We can just say, yep, this is presently what it feels like. And then we work to tolerate it. So for you, again... Practice this scripting and writing out that story about what may happen, what could happen, and we just allow for the thoughts and feelings to be there. And then in the rest of your life, when that thought comes up, the self-compassionate thing to do is then not to beat yourself up in the moment yet again. It is to go, yep, that sucks. And we get back to our day. And maybe it's just turning the knob down. Maybe it's so it's not this on or off switch, right? Like we, we are bothered by it or we are not, or we have self-compassion or we don't. But how do you do less beating yourself up? How do you, ex- how do you increase the self-forgiveness slowly and steadily? So maybe you beat yourself up for an hour this week. And then next week you say, I'm only going to beat myself for 45 minutes. And then I'm going to let myself off the hook. And then the week after, I'm going to only do it for 30 minutes. You see where I'm going with this. Slowly let ourselves off the hook. That might be one way to do it as well. So, 
Um, so to your second question, though, so I think that the, 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 the crux of this second question is, do, uh, do OCD obsessions generally have a kernel of truth within them? So Cassandra, I, I really don't want to answer this one. Because this is just a surefire way to get yourself to 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 uh, obsess more. And perhaps this is a second layer. I mean, perhaps this is a second layer of obsession. Meaning, there can be the the main topic of the obsession, and then there's the second one. Well, well, is there a kernel of truth? Because there was this one thing that happened. Because then it extends to everything else, right? Well, I'm not worried about my sexuality any longer, but now I'm worried about killing people. Well, I had a violent thought. Well, does that mean I'm going to kill that person? Is because, well, I'm now identifying as, as bisexual. Well, what about this? It's unhelpful. This is to the previous point of needing to accept that uncertainty. The man, I don't know. Do you want to know the answer? Sure. But we're practicing not knowing because right now we don't. And that's, that's the crux of all this stuff. That's why you're here. That's why we're talking about all this stuff. Now, I could sit here and tell you that, that HSCD, uh, or that, excuse me, not HSCD, or sexual orientation OCD. HSCD is a term that it means um, homosexual OCD. Uh, it's a term that some people use. They're progressively moving away from. We're now using more of the term of sexual orientation OCD. I'm going to mess up both. I'm going to try to use both as needed, as necessary. I'm going to mess them up because that's what happens. But I'm trying to work on it. So for those folks with, uh, so I, so uh, Cassandra, I can sit here and tell you that no obsessions have any grounding in, in reality at all. However, you obsessed about this thing, and now you started noticing that you had genuine, it sounds like, uh, attraction towards women. Well, yours did, I suppose, a little bit, maybe. Now to everybody else out there, I'm going to say, I don't know, man. I'm going to say your results may vary. Because we don't know. The only way, the only reason that I can say this now for Cassandra is because she told me. And she's telling me after the fact, not in advance, after the fact. The pre-marinating on this, that's the problem. She's, if you're, if you're sitting there obsessing about the future, that's the problem. But if you're now afterwards, you can say, well, I guess there was. But we waited. We need to wait until that thing happens or doesn't happen, as ambiguous as that is. So in short, the answer to you, Cassandra, is I don't know. And neither do you. And, and, and ultimately, does it matter? Now, here's the thing. So if you are in my office, there might be a discussion we'd be having about, uh, well, actually, before I even get into that, it sounds like your new obsession to that secondary point is, is you know, is there this secondary layer of, of the obsession? So to that point, I, I've, I have no idea um, if, if, all, if all of them do, if some of them do, how do we know which one of them do? We can, we can accept the uncertainty. We have to accept the uncertainty around all of that. But you've also mentioned that you're obsessing a bit about, well, you're a bit about uh, your, your sexuality yet again. Hmm, weird, interesting. And, but you're now going, well, what if I'm actually straight and I'm appropriating this label of a community, right? So that might be considered the primary obsession and then the, the underlying or the, the secondary obsession, kind of the, the obsessing about obsessing, the quality of obsessing about um, whether or not there's a kernel of truth to obsessions, etc. So whether or not you are actually straight, I, I, I don't know. And um, we, we need to accept that, you know, may, maybe you are. Maybe you are just uh, uh, misappropriating your your um, sexuality. Maybe you are um, trying to trying to just uh, uh, take a label and, and identify with the community that does not belong to you. I, I don't know. And 
that is going to be something to lean into with with a therapist in terms of leaning into doing exposures. Now, I've, I've answered questions like this in the past and has been brought to my attention that perhaps in situations like this, something called arousal non-concordance may be at play. So if you were in my office, uh, Cassandra, perhaps we'd be talking about arousal non-concordance. So this is the fancy term for feeling a level of arousal that isn't consistent with your general or current feelings. So, it's a situation in which we do feel sensations of genuine arousal, and uh, but but they are not in accordance with our genuine genuine values. So again, this would be something to explore, and it may be a topic for a future episode. But my my feeling is that this may not be something that is actually going on here. I'm pointing it out as something that may exist, and I'm saying that because for a while there you've been exploring this, and I'm assuming then that you've been identifying with some of this in a genuine sort of manner, but now there's this new obsession that is pulling you back into this worry about, oh my gosh, what if I'm straight? Now, back in the day, we might call this straight OCD or reverse HOCD or something to that effect, but it's still, it's, it's, nothing's changed. It's sexual orientation obsessions, sexual orientation OCD. You're obsessing about your sexuality. So I'm going to encourage you, lean into the uncertainty. You know what? Maybe you are actually straight. Maybe you've been living a lie this whole time. Maybe you're going to get caught for trying to take from the LGBTQ plus community. And that is going to cause some punishment, some recourse for you, for your friends, for your family, for your future, for your partners, who knows? But I want you to continue pursuing whatever relationships you're drawn to and practice tolerating the thoughts and the feelings of uncertainty that maybe you're wrong and living a lie in that moment. Not the future, not trying to figure out what it means for the future. But think about this again. What feelings will you have to make space for and accept? The feelings and the thoughts. Not the futures, but the present thought and the future uncertainties. Right? That, un that uncertain, uncomfortable feeling about what may happen. You get what I'm saying. So, Cassandra, that is the stuff that you're going to have to be sitting with. So, um, I hope I answered your question. I probably went in a very roundabout sort of manner, and that's kind of what we're doing for this episode. So, again, Cassandra, thank you so much for this, and I hope this was helpful. And uh, uh, if you have some feedback for us, shoot me an email and let me know, and I'll be happy to post that for a future episode. All right. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for making it through this episode. If uh, you have any follow-ups for this, if you'd like to offer some suggestion or feedback or uh, criticism or critique for my feedback to these individuals, I'm certainly happy to hear it. You can go over to, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can go to the Submit a Question link there and let me know. Um, additionally, if you have a question for a future episode and would like to submit that and you would like to submit that, um, please go over to fearcastpodcast.com. Send the same sort of thing. Um, everybody, uh, uh, feel free to also check me out over at Instagram. I am, to no surprise, Fearcast Podcast. Sometimes I post some stuff that's silly and goofy and interesting and funny and maybe uh, thoughtful. Who knows? It's a little mixture of all of those things. All right, everybody. Please remember that um, uh, uh, the Fearcast Podcast is not substitute for psychotherapy. If you have any questions about progress or have any questions in, in a little bit of help, go over to fearcastpodcast.com. Go to the Find Help link. There'll be some stuff there that may be, some, may be helpful for you in your own recovery. So, all right, everybody. Until next time, 
Take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.